of intellectual self-discovery. You're listening to another episode of the In the Driveway podcast. Intellectual yet stimulating. All the topics you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table. Politics, economics, religion. You know happen under the stars with your bros. So crack open a cold one. Blaze up if you've got one. And join your hosts, Chad and Dustin, in the driveway. What is up, everybody? It is another episode of the In the Driveway podcast. I am Chad, and my co-host, Dustin, is here. What's up, everybody? And today we have a very, very special guest, my beautiful fiance, soon-to-be wife, Naomi. Hi, everybody. Well, welcome, Naomi. And uh, today we have a, uh, a very interesting topic. We're going to be talking about the game stonks phenomenon, which recently occurred. And Naomi is the perfect guest for that because she is a Redditor and she was involved from very early on. So she's done tons mm-hmm. of research, knows tons about it. Well, that's awesome because I've uh, been very curious about it. I was not involved at all, but I've been sitting on the sidelines watching the madness and, yeah, uh, I, I have been wanting to hear from somebody on the inside of this whole thing uh, with, well, their experience with it, uh, but also, you know, uh, more. Of the, I want to understand the dynamics of how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I have um, pages and pages of notes. So feel free to stop me at any point and ask questions. This is a very brief um, summary. There's many different interesting angles that, to be honest, I think we could do a podcast almost about a a separate podcast about every single aspect of this. But um, so to start off with, just for the um, listeners who may not be aware Um, Reddit is a social media site that is kind of similar to like bulletin board sites from the nineties. It's mostly text-based, although you can add, um, articles or images. Um, you can chat, there's a chat function. Um, the user base is mostly men and it's mostly under 21, although all different demographics are represented. Um, so everyone from grandparents down to teens, um, and everybody in between. So there's one main page that's called popular and many smaller pages that are dedicated to special interests. Um, there is a baking subreddit called Reddit. <laughs> um, and right now, because I'm in the middle of planning a wedding, um, I am on Reddit frequently. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff, movies and TV, interior design. Um, there's very niche subreddits um, that are, some of them are about hobbies, some are about topics. Um, so there's almost any interest that you have, um, you can find there. And I actually joined Reddit in 2017. I was looking for support for my sobriety journey. I became sober in 2017 and I joined a subreddit called Stop Drinking. Um, and I'm still there. And I kind of just started branching out um, and like looking at different subreddits and just seeing what they had available. Um, and Usually I will browse the front page and that's where I found Wall Street Bets. Um, So what is Wall Street Bets? I would describe it um, as a no holds barred uh, free for all. It's a subreddit and it gives stock tips basically on very risky stocks, um, very highly volatile stocks. 
So it's for people who are hobby traders. Um, it's not real financial advice and it's a very meme uh, driven. Um, so they like to recommend stocks that have like a nostalgia or humor value, like Blockbuster, for example, Garbage Pail Kids or Crystal Pepsi, things like that. Um, it's very not safe for work. <laughs> they have a lot of squares. They kind of have their own lingo and it's a very satirical tone. Um, so that kind of is the summary of what, where did all this start? And more specifically, so, where was most of this action located? Is in Wall Street Bets on Reddit. So when people use Wall Street Bets, like, okay, it's super risky, very volatile stocks. Why is, is it a bigger risk, bigger reward type thing or... Is there well, that's a very good question. I think part there, there's different reasons, actually. Um, there was a post, and I'll share a link um, so that you can share to our listeners. There's a post that kind of encapsulates the different users, specifically for the GameStop instance. Um, some people wanted to be part of a cultural movement. Some people wanted to just have fun. And some people wanted to legitimately make money. So for Wall Street Bets, they are a very... Um, developed community. They have their own little lingo and they have their own um, kind of in-jokes. So I think the appeal is split between doing something fun and having uh, having fun on the internet with your friends and possibly making a tremendous amount of money from, from if something hits, which like this did hit. Um, so I think it's kind of, it depends on why you're even on the internet in the first place. I think for the vast majority of the users, they were just having fun, like for the the LOLs, right? Um, but for some people, okay. they joined because they wanted to be part of this bigger cultural moment. Okay. All right. Yeah, I get it. It's a, kind of like an online community uh, yeah. camaraderie kind of, you know, I, I think it was the same premise that Dogecoin was started under. Basically, yeah. it was kind of a joke, you know. Right, uh, exactly. I would say it started off as a little bit more of a joke, and then it became quite serious. Um, so GameStop specifically, um, there's a lot going on. I'll sort of summarize. So in early 2020, there are um, a couple kind of power users on Wall Street Vets who have the ability to... Um, kind of move the needle on the discussion. And one of them is called deep fucking value. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of the, that's the one that kind of gets the credited with sparking. The yeah. Whole situation. Right. He kind of starts I, off I saw, I, I saw that he made like 48 million on this whole thing. Yeah. There are some, some numbers. I think it depends on how you look at it. That's more of a potential because his, um his money was in, uh, calls, which is like, this is the potential, what it could rise to. So in 2020, um, a frequent user, a lot of people post what they call DD due diligence. So they will do a lot of research on a stock. And if they feel that it's undervalued, they will go and type a long, almost like an article and talk about all the reasons why they think it's undervalued. So in 2020, um, Deep fucking value was like, you know, GME has this new activist investor, which is somebody that purchases a big block of the company. And then because it's in their best interest, they try to um, strongly encourage the company to update, to upgrade, to, to kind of take a swing, right? To go um, 
to get into an upward swing. So GME GameStop, GME is their um their symbol on the ticker. GameStop had um one of these activist investors. So the other half of this is that GME stocks were being shorted um on something called naked short, which means it has an unlimited potential for losses. Now, naked shorts are illegal <laughs> um and immoral. However, somehow hedge funds had somehow gotten um, gotten away with it uh, up to this point. So there was a unique opportunity, um, pretty much unprecedented. The only um, financial opportunity that this can compare to is the 2008 short squeeze Volkswagen. Um, so what am I talking about? I'm like throwing a lot of terms around here, like short squeeze and naked shorts and things like that. Now, this is where my personal expertise is very limited. So I went on Wikipedia and um, some of what I'm about to summarize comes from Wikipedia with my own color commentary. Um, so short selling, it's part of the overall marketplace. And it's when an investor borrows shares, which side note, this many people that were involved in this felt that the original ability to borrow quote unquote shares um, and immediately sell them short was kind of the domino that tipped this whole thing off. Like, why are we even allowing this? It's, this doesn't make sense. And um, there's, if you do a little research, you can find articles that talk about why short selling is so harmful to the marketplace and why it's so predatory. So that's well, an it, angle. Well, it basically uh, forces whoever's being shorted out of the market. Right. right? It can. It can. And, yeah. And it kind of um, puts them in a position to where they, they can't, uh, they get into a hole and can't. Right. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. And so like uh, some of these hedge funds were, were short in the stock. Like it was shorted like 140%. Yes, that's exactly right. 140% and, of the stock was, it was overextended in other words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I, I heard that the reason why, the only reason we have shorting is because back in the day that the early days of the stock market, um, they would actually have to, like go on horseback and 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 take the buys and sells from one place to another, and that's the reason why they had this this uh, this phenomenon of being able to borrow the shares, and that is ultimately what led to the ability to short. And essentially, what what shorting is is um, you're betting that the stock is going to go down. So what happens a lot of times is someone will take out a huge short position on a stock. And then they'll go on the internet or TV and start talking a whole bunch of crap about that company, trying to push that that stock to go down so that they can make tons of money. Which is also immoral. It's not illegal, but it's it's very immoral. Um, so this um, this this whole situation, the shorting and uh, the fact it's a naked short, meaning it's not hedged properly. And the fact that it was 140%, uh, meaning that more shorts, hedge funds have the ability to buy and sell stocks, stocks to each other kind of behind the scenes, another kind of weird aspect of this. So they managed to somehow buy and sell between each other more stock than was actually available. So it's almost like they oversold. So savvy day traders and hobby traders realize this. Um, and this is where deep fucking value comes in. Now, what's interesting to me is that this man, his name is Keith Gill. Um, he is a uh, CFA, chartered financial analyst. So I 
I believe that I don't blame him, but that's an interesting angle to me that he is not um, a, what we might think of as a typical retail investor. Um, he's also interestingly a marketing professional. He has his own YouTube channel. Um, so these two things combine to make him a, a rather powerful. He's kind of almost like an alpha retail investor. He's definitely not somebody who heard it from a buddy at a barbecue. He did his due diligence. Um, that also gives him an advantage um, that I think played into this whole um, kerfluffle because I believe that he was presented not by himself, but by Reddit as kind of like a folk hero um, and somebody who was just in his basement, just an average Joe and took a chance, you know, on a small town stock. And um, I don't really think that's what happened. I don't think that he's a um, institutional investor, but he's definitely a step above a retail investor in my mind. Um, so he puts, um, he started doing YOLO. He only live once. Um, that's part of, uh, wall street bets lingo. So he started posting these posts where his initial investment on calls was, um, going up crazily. So he invested about 50 grand in 2019 and he saw the position rise to $50 million of value. Now he cashed out about 13 of those million dollars. Um, so he's sitting pretty, pretty, pretty um, nice situation right now. Um, however, he did not make 50 million. I think it's important to add um, or important to know rather that he did not make 50 million, but he had the value, the potential value of the portfolio at one point was at 50 million. And um, how much was his initial investment? $50,000. $50, so that wow. was a huge, huge return for him. Um, however, again, I'd like to point out, um, to be fair, not many of us have $50,000 that we can afford to, as they call it, YOLO at a stock. Um, you know, my initial investment was $70. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and, see, and that's, that's what, what a lot of people, have, right? a lot of people want to like, wanted to, you know, jump and woohoo. Yeah. The, the little man's taking, taking over wall street and we're taking it all back and starting revolution. But what a lot of people don't understand is like, after the trend was started, what really fueled the upward movement is is these larger investors getting involved yeah. in other hedge funds. Uh, one hedge fund, uh, like uh, Synvest, I believe is the name of the the hedge fund, it made seven hundred million uh, mm -hmm. in in value uh, off of the GameStop investment. Yeah, um, I so. I noticed that too. I, I think that's another aspect of the story that doesn't get talked about very much because it's not as sexy, so to speak. Right. Um, but I, this is the structure is that, you know, in a way you can make an argument that this is trickle up <laughs> economics. Um, but it is interesting to me that Keith Gill is a financial professional um, and he had 50 grand, uh, which I suspect he made through savvy penny stock trading and other you know, he took his um, portfolio. So um, January 27, about a week after the inauguration, this whole thing starts going down. Um, so I actually, the Saturday um, after the inauguration, I had been seeing Chatter and I recall sending um, Chad a text message and he had a friend who was playing around in the stock market. And I said, if he is in GME, tell him to hold his position. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, I think that never really went anywhere, <laughs> but he could have made serious money with that one. Um, 
So about a week after the inauguration, it really took off and it started um, kind of being everywhere, all over the media. Everybody was talking about it. And on January 29, the government and hedge funds started kind of stepping into the fray. So CNBC was running constant updates and breaking in, uh, breaking into previously scheduled broadcasts to talk about this phenomenon because it was just so unusual. Um, and on the 29th, they triggered nine circuit breaker halts. So circuit breakers when they stop trading on the trading floor because of the volatility. Um, and notably on the way up. So when the stock was reaching 200, 250, 300, they, tra- they, they stopped the trading um, nine times, only on the way up though. So now it's on the way down and they haven't, yeah. I noticed that they haven't trade, stopped the trading at any point on the way down. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but I know that they have, it's like an automatic circuit breaker when it's going down. Like if it goes down mm-hmm. 500 points in a certain amount of time, it automatically triggers one. Were these automatic or were these like manual? Oh, that's. I believe it was a combination um, because I know that people were commenting that um, this was unusual circuit breaking um, because usually those circuit breakers are to prevent a crash of the entire marketplace. And this stock is just such a small part of the marketplace. Right. Um, Right. But it was so volatile. So January 20th. So just to try to explain the volatility of it a little bit, it started out at the beginning of 2020 at like uh, $13, $14 a share. And then all of this um, started happening to push up. How quickly did it rise between there and, and up to the over $400 that it eventually got to? How, how so quick of it, a- when I purchased, when I got in, it, I, it was like 65, 70. And this was on, I think a Monday. And then it shot up to, I think it's ultimate high within two days. So that's extreme. That's it was like very 14, volatile, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a, uh, also, speaking to the volatility, uh, like when Elon Musk tweeted out "game stonk" uh, about mm-hmm. it, um, and then the, it the it surged another one hundred and fifty seven percent just suddenly, yeah. just just from one guy making a tweet like that. Like, yeah, man, it, it just. Uh, it sets off red flags, like alarms in my head that, wow, something's not right there. Uh, yeah, but he's not really just one guy. He's the richest man in the world. I mean, I guess that's, yeah. true. But also, that's I, true, should, but still. Should anyone be taking stock advice from Elon Musk? No, because he is he's not a financial professional, right? He's, he's what we might call like um, a whale. You know, somebody who has the ability to purchase huge blocks of stock and move the market. But I also think that Elon, he kind of has like a little bit of an impish nature. There's something about him that I believe, although I don't know the man, I think that he enjoys stirring the pot um, in oh, on a social much. stage. Yeah. So I think that um, once he gets involved, that's almost the sign that it's like almost over. <laughs> Right. Um, He's well yeah. at that point at the, at the point that I see him jump in and say something about things it's usually at the point to mock its absurdity. Right. And and um yeah, it's what at GameStop I think I just looked at it it was back down to like $50 a share yeah. now. Um so it dropped just as quickly mm-hmm. as it as it rose. And, yeah, uh, it was 
it's it did drop. I think it took about a week to get back down to into the the double digits. And this whole time, there was a lot of in the background. There was a couple scandals going on, and I wanted to bring up because I think this is very important. Um, so most people who are retail day traders are on Robinhood, the app Robinhood, that allows you. One of the things about Robinhood is that they believe. Um, for example, if you wanted to buy an IPO, you can't do that for less than if you are trading with capital for, I think your floor is like 50 grand. So trading stocks is often unavailable. It's just out of reach for your average person. And Robinhood's premise was that they wanted to democratize um, in the true sense of the word, um, the stock market for your retail investor. Well, <laughs> Robinhood, Unfortunately, absolutely shit the bet on this. And um, they decided to trade or halt the buying of stocks, specifically um, GameStop and a couple other stocks that were being talked about AMC and uh, BlackBerry. They decided to halt purchase. Yes, and Nokia. Yeah, they were on the list. So they were allowing selling, um, but they were not allowing buying. So Reddit went bananas over this. It was a huge scandal. And there was almost hourly updates about which platforms were still allowing purchasing. Now, I happen to have my money in Fidelity, and I had no problem purchasing any meme stock that I want. (laughs) Um, So there was a, a bunch of different stock purchasing platforms that just would not allow you to purchase Um, because they were trying to control the volatility. Now, they later came out and said, well, we were asked to provide collateral for this to protect our positions. However, there's another angle to this, which is um, Citadel Securities is what we call a market maker, MM. So Citadel Securities is a, a whale of a company that has the cash and the credit to essentially get the whole casino running, Wall Street. And Citadel um, is a partner for Robinhood. They uh, pay to play. Like, so Robinhood's free. They don't take commissions. And how they finance that app is they sell your data, essentially, to Citadel. Um, Now, is this, uh, what's the word? Is this ethical? Is it moral? Is it um, fair? Not really (laughs) but but it is legal right it's legal yeah that's legal mm -hmm. it's legal yeah and Um, that's what i've heard a lot of people uh clamoring about uh, how they how they broke the law this has to be illegal we're gonna sue them but yeah if you you read their terms and conditions Mm -hmm. it's right there written right and it's not a problem until something like this happens where one hand washes the other which is when you um, hand over the reins of your operations to a market maker, it's, it's inherently corrupt. It's, it's inherently wrong. Um, however, the system is so large, it's hard to even think about what steps we need to take to dismantle it or what needs to change it. it they're so intertwined. They're a parasitic organism um, that needs Robinhood to survive and Robinhood needs them to survive. Um, so Citadel bailed out Melvin Capital to the tune of $7.2 billion yeah. <laughs> early on in this because they Melvin Capital had a huge loss for this short sell. 
Um, which another very frustrating moment um, is that it it almost seems like funny money, I guess. And again, it's not illegal. Um, to to some, I feel like there's an argument to be made that it's not even immoral because capitalism and money has no morality. Like the market is not a human, yeah. right? We don't hold it to the same standard. But there are people behind this mechanism who are making these decisions and who are making these calls. It's the market's not a sentient being, right? So I think that's where the philosophy comes in is who who do we hold accountable to what degree and for what? What was the sin? You know, like what was the wrong that was done? So is the SEC going to side with the investors on on the Um supposedly they said issues. that they were investigating so they came out with um, there was a bunch of um, class action lawsuits filed against Robinhood, unsurprisingly, um, which are still, this was, and all of this is happening on a backdrop of wild volatility in the marketplace. And as I put in my notes, billionaires crying in their solid gold hankies, um, which is, gives you such a fresh, minty, fresh feeling of schadenfreude. I like to see these, you know, <laughs> people who are in their 60s. Just, well, this is unfair. Well, welcome to our world. Uh, yeah. Pal, you know? yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, to me, this, that's, this is the reason this is such a huge story. And the reason why it's so, so enraging is that this was like the little guy for the first time ever having the chance to play the game that they've been playing. And as soon as the On little the guy. On the same playing field. Right. Well, and as soon as the little guy starts winning. They shut everything down. They use every. Well, that's that's kind of what I want to know is is the biggest winners here were other hedge funds. Yeah, it was it was hedge fund versus hedge fund, you know, duel. Yeah. But uh, I want to know how how much did the little guy actually end up winning? How much? How many of the people who invested in this actually came out ahead, or are still holding on to it, hoping it'll go back up, or didn't get it out in time? I'd like to see that. I would like to see that information too. I think the win to, to me, I think it, there was a point on Reddit where it started to take a turn on between it, it stopped being about daydreaming about um, buying a house or paying off student loans and started to be more about a principle and more about um, a sacrifice, you know, people sacrificing their money literally to make a point Um, and being part of something bigger. And I think, you know, that, that, playing field analogy is very apt. It's like, you know, we were playing foosball this whole time and we were being told that we were playing a special, they, we were being, being given the privilege of playing this foosball game. Right. And meanwhile, there's this huge stadium right up the street that has, you know, world-class athletes. And we cobbled together this ragtag team of can do bad news bears. Right. <laughs> I managed to get that ball all the way to the one yard line. Um, and I believe that they, they did really throw everything that they possibly could. Um, so an interesting angle on this too, is that many politicians across the political spectrum um, were in support of the little guy. Um, and f- interestingly, funnily enough, um, the squad, as it's known, the uh, minority group of women um, delegates um, were all came out and spoke about that. And Ted Cruz tried to get in on it. Um, and <laughs> AOC told Ted Cruz, 
Um, well, I will take the support of any other politician except you because you tried to have me assassinated last week, sir. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> nice to see somebody stick by those principles. I yeah, mean, if, if, yeah. if Trump had tried to assassinate Ted Cruz, I don't think Ted Cruz would have stuck to that. You mm-hmm. know? So. so there was a lot of remora, what we might call remora on feeding on the shark of political and social change, right? Um, so the kind of, I would say in general, the fallout has been, so a lot of people did lose money, although I recall talking about it on other subreddits and saying it's a casino, it's gambling, only spend as much money as you can afford for this to be an entertaining moment. Don't throw everything you have in here because it's almost certain to crash. Um, yeah. So now that something like this has happened, what what do you think the odds of that uh, people will take this as a uh, you know as as a a gate to start doing more things like this in the future with other companies? Do you think there's a chance that this sure will another, end up being yeah. a good thing for the people, or will the banks respond with more restrictions and? less free market. I would like to believe that it will. I believe that generally the market seeks a homeostasis, right? So after the 2008 crash, we kind of asked ourselves the same question, like how, what's going to change? Is there going to be limits or restrictions on these type of um, mixed, um, mixed rating stocks? Can they create what they call products, right? Of, trenches of stocks that are C plus all the way up to AAA. And things didn't change at a institutional level. Things changed. But I think the perception, I can recall my favorite movie of all time is Wall Street from 1987. And I've seen almost every movie um, that relates to high finance. It's just an interest of mine. Um, and I was talking about this and saying that Hollywood has a propaganda machine when it comes to finance. And the story has always been that there's a little guy who gets sucked into the corruption um, of the machine, but who manages to find a way to take down um, part of that machine. However, very importantly, almost always at the end of these movies, it's bittersweet because there's this knowledge and understanding that there's a structure Um, that can never be taken down. That to me is the real propaganda, is that buried inside this hero's journey is almost like a sad, like Dante's Inferno story in a way. Like you have this little, you won this battle, but you'll never win the war. So that's my take on it is that I, I think people are emotionally and psychologically invested in a way that they don't quite understand because in, it's another parasitic relationship because America specifically is very invested in being underdogs and being individualistic uh, cowboys, taking David to the Goliath, even though we're all, what is society? It's made up of individuals, right? right. So I think they're very invested in, in being this David persona. And in order to be a David, you need a Goliath. So I don't think they'll ever dismantle it because it's a psychological need that they need a bad guy. They need a monolith to both revere and disdain. And I think that the marketplace, Wall Street, is that monolith. 
for many people. Yeah, I think that's very true. You know, I, I think that's <clears throat> that that kind of explains why these people were so upset. Like all these people that were getting on CNBC and and saying that this is this is a horrible thing and it shouldn't be allowed to happen is for the first time ever, I think, is it wasn't just an individual that was trying to take down a part of it. This was a movement, like a nationwide story. And that's really scary for the establishment. Yeah, it was a whole bunch of Davids with a bunch of slings called Dollar Yeah, Well, and it changes the story. It's no longer about an underdog. It's about two potentially equally matched forces. And it's hard to match the force. And You know, many people have brought up the point that, you know, America is in a very unique situation in that many people are out of work. They're desperate. They don't have anything to lose. They're angry. They feel betrayed by many different forces. Um, But there's a financial angle. Many people are still waiting on that, that $600, that $1,400, their unemployment payments, right? They're waiting for their uh, workplace to open back up. So they have nothing but time. And they are highly motivated to change the system. Um, so I think this is a unique situation. I don't know what the re- implications are, um, but I think it will become, it's a different kind of story. You're very right. It's not a David and Goliath story. And I think I'd be interested to see, because if you look at movies like The Big Short, that that's a sh- represents a shift because this David character um, who is the driving, the driving force is also backed up by like a team. So this is a different kind of war story. Right. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more of these nation states inside the United States, instead of just this individual, right. This sheriff who comes to town, it's more about these, this band of brothers. Right. Well, um, thanks for joining us. That was uh, amazing. That was great. I've been so fascinated by this whole conversation, and uh, it's great to actually have it explained, like from the beginning uh, yeah, through all so, the I feel phases like and steps. Yeah, there's so much more. I think too. Um, there's so many more interesting characters, and the I think in the final tally, there there are several intellectual properties being developed for movies and shows limited series about this so we'll see how it all plays out and what the media has to say about it but um it so, was definitely fun doing research on this would you can would you or do you think that uh that given opportunities like this that people should take these chances and push these movements even though they know that they might lose um because it's so volatile so risky these movements are like the way I see it is, is I'm hell. Yeah. Stick it to them. Let's keep it going and move on to the next thing that we can do it with. But is that really feasible? Do you think, or do you think people yeah, could actually a really maintain question. a movement like that? I mean, I think that even asking to, to some degree, not to get super deep with it, but I think asking that question is still being part of the system. Right. And like right. we have been sold a narrative And that narrative is, I mean, the reason I brought up Keith Gill, not to impinge his character, but, you know, we were sold a narrative about him, that he, we had this image in our mind that he was 21 and, you know, had Dorito covered fingers or whatever. And he's, he is a CFA. So I think 
asking, you know, asking questions about what, um, what narrative is being sold to me right now and how do I want to participate in that narrative? And I also think it's important to, um, try to leave emotion out of it (laughs) when it comes to this is your money is a very valuable tool and weapon and using, I think you can use your money to make a statement and be part of a, a greater cultural, um, initiative. But I also think it's important to, in a way, hedge your money and use your money to purchase like ethical goods, sustainable goods, or small business, um, things like that. So that, um, it's not, it's not a cultural movement. It's like a way of life. Yeah. <laughs> I saw, as that sounds right. <laughs> I saw, I saw a story of one guy in particular, uh, taking his rent money to put into GameStop stocks when all this started happening. And yeah. man, I wouldn't recommend anybody give up their day-to-day needs like rent or their car payment for these kinds of causes though. You know? Yeah. The other thing too is I think I think if you're if you're part of this movement, you need to ask yourself deeper questions. Questions as deep as you possibly can. Like why is it a choice? between participating in a cultural movement and rent. Like, is there a system? There are so many overlapping systems, right? Like, why does it take money to participate in a cultural movement? You know, Absolutely. like, why it, Why is money talking, right? right? Why is that the voice that is heard the loudest? I mean, I think asking those kind of questions is like super important too. And why Why are we so enamored of these stories of, of fruitless sacrifice? you know, and, and, and enormous wealth. And yeah, uh, it's like a, a carrot that's being held in front of our face that a lot of people fall into when they see these opportunities of these things happening like that. And then it turns out to have disastrous consequences in their real life. And yeah, but also I feel like people should ask themselves, is it, is, is it a disaster? Exactly. And be like, part of me is like, man, well, like I could have told you that probably wasn't a good idea, but at the same time, it's like, I, but I was part of something and I like, I can understand that too. It's an opportunity to see money in a very different way. It's an opportunity to buy yourself freedom. Um, especially as a young man who has his whole life ahead of him. And, you know, I also think like there's a, there's a freedom that comes from saying, I, I'm going to take a huge risk to, to not, I may get ejected from the system with this movement, this choice rather, you know, I may get ejected from, from this, from the capitalistic system. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's a, everybody has to weigh their own risks. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in being homeless, you know, but I also feel like, when people do take that risk, I think they should take it for um, the right reasons, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, man, thanks again, uh, Naomi. Yeah, thanks and, for uh, having me. It was fun. Thank yeah, you. It was great. Uh, I guess we'll talk to you next time on In the Driveway. Yeah. Peace. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Bye-bye. If you've gotten something of significant value from what you just heard, please consider supporting the show by visiting our Patreon page or copying some sweet merch at our website, inthedrivewaypodcast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, love really is the answer.